Hallöchen and welcome back to Air Castles, the podcast where we try to understand different cultures one topic at a time. My name is Joanna, I am from the nation of Austria, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Olivia. Greetings from the US, everybody. <laughs> United States of America. You know, ever since I think it was the New Year's episode, I've been really self-conscious about my wooing. I think I do it a lot. <laughs> And I think it's because, like, I definitely like that, you know, that air horn sound that's like, wah, 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 wah. Like, Ooh, yeah, I just wish yeah. I could I could do that all the time. <laughs> like, I just had a button on hand that would just play that sound whenever I I mean, I you saw can it. get one. You can get a I'm lot sure. of random stuff online. But do I need to spend my money on that? Uh, <laughs> Probably not. You can, you can invest in a sound effect for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that we can just play it every time. I'll have to look into that. A <laughs> royalty free whoop yeah. whoop sound. I'm too, I'm too cheap, so we'll see what we can get <laughs> royalty free. Yeah, but so to all of our listeners, welcome or welcome back to Air Castles. We always like the way this podcast works. Olivia and I, we met very romantically in Japan, <laughs> even though we're from such different places of the world, because we both did a semester abroad there. I used to be a business student. Olivia really has a Japanese background because she minored in Japanese, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, and majored in... Not genetically, you know, <laughs> not genetically no, Japanese no. in any way. I'm as white as they come, but... But in education aspects and... Yes. Yeah, she also... The, the reason why she talks so eloquently and fancy <laughs> in fancy manners because she has a degree in English literature so those are our backgrounds and then you know we met in Japan and at a certain point post Japan to be clear we started to or decided to start a podcast and now we just yeah record episodes post them online and like it's always about different cultural topics because basically that's kind of like our background of how we met and we pick a topic and it's always like very funny titles, usually a reference to a song or anything, as you can tell by our past episodes. And then we just research a topic from a different nation or like from any nation of the world, from any culture, anything just in general interesting. And then we tell you about it and tell each other about it, what we researched. Um, so our theme today, per my request, is called Ask the Magic 8-Ball. Um, because we... So basically, it's just the number 8. That's that's it. So any anything regarding the number 8, which was tougher than I thought it would be. Even though I was the one who wanted this theme because I had a specific idea in mind. Yeah. Um, but as it turned out, I couldn't do that idea because there wasn't enough to talk about. So... Um, We'll see. You'll see how this goes. Because you <laughs> proposed that topic and I was like, I did. It's so hard to find anything. Like, what amazing idea must Olivia have had to, to propose? You know, we do the number eight. Well, okay. So, long story short, long story short, I had to read a book for one of my classes last semester that mm -hmm. had to do with octopuses. And it is octopuses, not octopi. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to make a comment, to be honest. Yes. No, that's literally how she opens the book. It's like, it's yeah. octopuses, not octopi. Here's why, <laughs> you know, she goes into the whole thing. Anyway, point is, it's called The Soul of an Octopus by Simon Montgomery. 
highly recommended. It was a fun book. It's about octopus intelligence, mostly. Um, and she talks about basically anything you could ever want to know about octopuses, you will learn <laughs> from that book. Um, but it's still, like, very well written, and it's kind of like a memoir in a way about her experiences with the octopuses at this uh, at her local aquarium and all this stuff. But she briefly, briefly mentions going to this Polynesian island. I don't exactly remember where it is off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. Um, but there's supposed to be like an octopus church was essentially how she described it. It was like a temple <laughs> to some sort of octopus god. And I, you know, being the person I am immediately read that and was like, oh, I gotta talk about that for Aircrisis. <laughs> like I wrote it down. Everything that she mentioned about it, I wrote it down so I could research it later. And then I researched it and literally everything that talks about it on the internet at least was connected to the book. So no oh. one knew any more about it than I already knew. And that was it. So I see. I went with a very related topic, as we'll find out later. I'm going to leave that as just a little nitpick. but that's So it's similar vein to what I'm talking about today, but not quite. But I'm really excited to know what you're talking about mm. because I made you go along with my <laughs> selfish request to do such a vague, weirdly, yeah, vague yet weirdly specific theme for today. So mm. I think that pretty much sums it up vague but weirdly specific <laughs> right uh yeah so as always we're not that that restrictive yeah. about <laughs> our topics and how we interpret it not so, at all so number eight do you know what is the eighth most uh, eighth most populous country in the world olivia do you want to guess Oh, gosh. Okay. So let me think. <laughs> I know it's India and then China. And then after that, <laughs> I really don't know. I'm assuming the U.S. is up there. Um, what else is big and crowded? Uh, You're not going to be able to guess it. I mean, eight is such a like random number as well. It is. You know, like, I love that this else. is. I already love where this is going, though. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say, like, every time I want to... Let's say Brazil. Brazil's probably higher up than eight, but... Mm, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. But I do know what the eighth most populous country in the world is with 100 and about 166 million inhabitants. And it is, drumroll please, Bangladesh. Or Bangladesh, sorry, that's the English pronunciation. In German, it's Bangladesh. <laughs> Well, you are correct in that I would have never guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Bangladesh. I thought it was quite cool to like research that country because besides the fact that, you know, it has a huge garment industry that everyone pretty much probably knows about and like the poverty in Bangladesh, there's not that much I knew about it, to be honest. So I'm here to teach all of us, including myself. Am I qualified? No. Am I going to do it anyway? Yes. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even know that. So I'm already, I've already learned something new about Bangladesh. What did you not know? I didn't know about like its role in the clothing industry. and. Um... That's interesting because, you know, I feel like here everyone knows about it because in so many clothes from fast fashion stores, you know, there's this made in Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Sorry, I will always say bang Bangladesh. It's okay. Like... You can say Bangladesh, man. It's it's fine. Okay. 
It's not like Bangladesh is the right way to pronounce it either. It's just how we <laughs> say it, you know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, but that's not the focus of today because I thought that was quite an obvious fact. But anyway, so Bangladesh. So it is in South Asia for everyone who doesn't know. And I think everyone can pretty much imagine where India is. So Bangladesh is pretty much inside of India. So like most of the country is surrounded by India. And there's just a very small portion which is connected to the border of Myanmar. But yeah, mm. those two and the Indian River are the only thing bordering Bangladesh. And to the flag, coming to the flag, because, yeah, just a quick reminder, it's a green flag for the, you know, luscious green forests in Bangladesh and just in general, like the lush soil. And with a red circle being the center of the flag, with which represents... circle? Red. Red. I thought you yeah. said rat. And I no, like, no, 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 red. <laughs> what? red r-e-d with the okay. red sun yes um representing the sun you know and it's like a christmas tree version of the japan flag yes that's what i a christmas tree is not what i connected it to but it's very similar to the red flag but what uh, to the japanese flag i mean but what really threw me off is that the red circle is not exactly in the middle of the flag it's like slightly to the left Oh. So just so you know, that's kind of irritating, but slightly <laughs> to the right. Well, Look. it might be the golden ratio type thing, you know, about like splitting mm. the, the picture into thirds instead of symmetrical and things but like that. But it's not in the th first third, I feel like. It's just slightly off center. Okay, hold on. This is this has got to happen now. Yeah, are you Googling it? Of I needed course. to Google it as well. I was like, am I imagining things? But that's not in the middle. Oh, I see what you mean. I do. Yeah. It's not on the yeah. first third. It's just literally slightly off center to the left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quite oh. unsatisfying, right? Looking at it. A little bit, yeah. It's still a pretty flag. I don't want to bash the Bangladesh flag. Look, guys. No flag's perfect. I mean, some flags are perfect, but most aren't. And that's No okay. flag is perfect. Da -da -da -da. Maybe there's... <laughs> that's my favorite song. <laughs> Hannah Montana's hit single about... No flag is perfect. Different You're national so childish, flags. Olivia. <laughs> Maybe, you know what? I'm just going to say that there is some symbolism behind that. That's a distinct choice. Yeah, and, that is. Um, Probably. And I'm sure that there's a good reason for it. So there you go. I'm going to stop looking at it, though. Anyway, we're going too far off topic again. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so uh, the language that is spoken in Bangladesh is besides English, it's Bengali, which is the national language. And people of Bangladesh are called Bengal. And in general, like Bangladesh means country of Bengal in Bengali. <laughs> And the national animal of Bangladesh is the Royal Bengal Tiger, which is sadly an endangered species. Very, very sad fact. Uh, the national sport is quite, <laughs> quite funny. So it's called Kabaddi, and it's a mix <gasps> between cat and mouse and the game of tag. And it's quite famous in yes. the Indian subcontinent. Do you know about it? I, okay. I literally, like... The mystery of the YouTube algorithm, right? 
Oh no. Two months ago, I just no. had this video recommended to me about a sport called Kabaddi. And I, again, I watched it and I was like, oh, I need you to do it. I need to do this for Eric Hassel. It's on. Oh, you watched you wanted to make an episode about this. I did. It's really interesting. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not going to get too much into it. It's basically, yeah, I said already, it's kind of like cat and mouse and like the game of tab. Basically, so there's a raider who runs into the opposite team's side of the court and tries to tag as many people as possible without being tackled. That's basically. Yeah. It's like capture the flag, tag, and wrestling. <laughs> All together. Yeah. But it looks really fun if you look up videos. And yes, yeah, so the capital city of Bangladesh is Bangladesh <laughs> is Dhaka, D-H-A-K-A. You can also spell it D-A-C-C-A. Um, and it's one of the most densely populated areas in the world. And the traffic seems to be really bad as in many, you know, South Asian cities and you're definitely like recommended to focus on going by foot when you're in Dhaka because it is said that every day about seven hours a day you know the traffic just stops without moving so Oof. yes and once again kind of like in the last episode where it was like but the backstory is so fascinating so the backstory about Bangladesh is that it formed part of the British Indian Empire. So it did have a lot of British influence in the country. And that's one reason why, you know the uh, sport or game of cricket? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. so that's very famous there. And, and they okay. really love, like, people of Bangladesh love cricket because they, you know, used to be part of the British Indian Empire. And yeah, so they seeked independence or they got their independence from India in 1947. However, so the thing is that in 1947, India was divided into two countries by the British. And so pretty much all of the Hindu people, like the areas where the Hindu people were focused in, got to be modern day India. And where the Muslim majority of people lived, like those areas became Pakistan. And so how you can imagine it geographically is that there's India and Pakistan is to the left, like Western side, left side of India and Bangladesh is to the right side. However, in 1947, when the great Indian empire got divided into those two, you know, regions of like people were, you know, where mostly Hinduism was present and where mostly, you know, Islam was present, Pakistan, like on either side, like on the Bangladesh side and on the like nowadays Pakistan side were you know the Muslim centered areas but after 1947 Bangladesh still didn't exist as a country because it was called East Pakistan like after oh, being divided okay. into two countries it was basically West Pakistan and East Pakistan and West Pakistan is the Pakistan we know of right now and East Pakistan is what nowadays is called Bangladesh and yeah it's quite crazy to think about the fact that even though India you know was split into two countries it was still like West Pakistan India and then East Pakistan like India was still separating you know the two Pakistans right so does that mean that Bangladesh has a majority Muslim population still? yes it's about 90% of citizens are Muslims okay and 
1971, there was actually a war of independence where Bangladesh, you know, became an independent country from Pakistan. So after that, you know, there was the former West Pakistan, which is now the Pakistan we know of. And Bangladesh or the former East Pakistan became Bangladesh. Uh, yeah, other facts are that Bangladesh has the longest non-broken sea beach in the world. So great for, you know, holidays by the sea and beach holidays. And what's, <laughs> and what's very uh, famous in Bangladesh is that they have the Ganges Delta, which is a river delta. And it's the world's largest river delta. And basically, so it's just... Many rivers are meeting at that point, at that delta. And so the two main rivers that are meeting are the Bra uh, wait, Brahmaputra River and the Ganges River. And they are mixing into the Indian Ocean there. And it's one of the most fertile regions in the world because obviously there's so much water there. So yeah, and due to that river delta, obviously, because... Yeah, that makes up a lot of the country, a big part of the country. And that's the reason why Bangladesh is also very vulnerable to climate change. Because their sea level, like... It's it's a quite low country in terms of, like, mm. sea level thing. Like, they don't have a lot of mountains. And obviously there's a lot of water, a lot of rivers. And that's why they're quite largely affected by, you know... When there's rainy season, for example, or um, just in general... The sea level rise which is you know a problem for all of us but especially countries you know that have a very low sea level um or yeah are located quite yeah quite low uh, mm. as bangladesh is and yeah it's so it experiences a lot of severe flooding every now and then and it's even affected by you know, if there are huge sections of ice melting off the Himalayan mo mountains, that's also affecting Bangladesh because of the rising sea levels. However, especially since they are so, yeah, affected by climate change, they do have a couple of very progressive laws already. For example, Bangladesh was the first country in the world to ban the distribution of plastic bags due to their, mm. you know struggles with climate change and yeah and also what i was quite surprised by is that women form a quite big part of the political power in bangladesh for example the prime minister is a woman her name is sheikh hasina and there are a couple more women in politics that play a very important role but i think it's quite impressive that you know as a south asian country which is not that developed yet in a lot of like social issues, right. as far as I could tell and research that they have a female prime minister. And what I was also really impressed by is, so uh, I told you that it's mainly bordering India, but there's also a border that they share with Myanmar. So a big cultural problem in Myanmar is, so basically there are people like the Rohingyas and they are just, an ethnic minority and M Myanmar basically purging is basically purging areas where uh, Rohingya live and that's a big problem because you know like the UN even called it ethical cleansing uh, ethnic cleansing sorry so people 
who are Rohingya people are basically fleeing from Myanmar. And a lot of refugees come to Bangladesh because it's so close geographically. And that's why Bangladesh has a lot of problems with like so many refugees, you know. But mm. what I thought was so impressive is that the prime minister, uh, like I listened to a speech of hers and she said that, you know, even though Bangladesh isn't a rich country, they're always going to open their borders for refugees, you know, because they have nowhere else to go. And that's why most Rohingya people, Rohingya people, sorry, are living in Bangladesh right now, because that's where they found, you know, that's where they immigrated to. And that's where they're in refugee camps right now. And I thought it was so impressive and interesting that even such a mm -hmm. poor country and the head of such a poor country said that, you know, even though they don't really have the resources, they're never gonna stop people from you know, seeking assistance and like just, yeah, coming into their country for a rescue and for being safe, basically. Right. Um, I have a quick question for you mm -hmm. because now I can generally visualize where Bangladesh is, but size-wise, how would you compare it to nearby countries um, like India or Pakistan? Like mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how to gauge how big it is because I always imagine a it's A lot smaller small, than India. But, okay. A lot smaller than India. I would say rather pretty much the size of Pakistan. Like okay. a lot more similar to that size. But India is a lot bigger. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much all for Bangladesh for now. Wow. That I have. Awesome. I, I have <laughs> learned so much about Bangladesh. Meaning I learned anything about Bangladesh. <laughs> anything. Ooh, okay. Well. Number eight, Olivia. Shoot. <laughs> okay, so instead of talk, I did want to try and stick with Polynesia because I don't think we've talked about any Ooh. Polynesian island slash countries um, so far in the podcast. So I thought you would stick with the octopuses. I wanted to. Say I octopi. kind of did. I. It's a again. It's a very loose, <laughs> loose thing. So I'm. Okay. I'm going to talk about a Hawaiian god named Kanaloa who is said to be one of the four core gods of traditional Hawaiian religion. Specifically, he is the god of the ocean, healing and health, and the underworld. Um, and yet, despite the fact that he's one of like the four, the big four, right? One of the main deities, there is not mm -hmm. a lot that is known about him. But one of the things that is most known about him is that he's often depicted as an octopus or a squid. So that's literally the only connection with the number eight is that he is often <laughs> depicted as an octopus. That's like... With eight tentacles, right? Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> so that's how, you know, it was Polynesian religion, octopus. That's that's where I came. Anyway, um, other other examples of his kinolau, his forms, include dolphins or whales, you know, sea creatures. Uh, but also... Also, he has multiple forms. Yes, yes. Um, but also the banana and other medicinal plants. The banana. He's also... So, I know. I'd, just throwing that out there. Um, but then he can also be, like, literally the ocean itself. Like, the ocean is his form. So I just love the range that this man is working in. That he has, like, a human form. But then he also can be a banana. But then he can also be the vast ocean. <laughs> He can be everything. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be making a lot of references, at least some references to Moana, the Disney film. Um, Ooh, I haven't Because if you think this. about, 
Oh, you haven't watched it? Well, no. one of the main characters, Maui, is a demigod um, who really exists oh. in Polynesian folklore, depending on which island you're talking about. Um, but he has, he can, one of his powers is that he can shapeshift into literally anything. And I think that's kind of a common trait among the gods. I don't think they necessarily are like, oh, they can literally take any form. Like, they can take any form, but they don't, I guess, mm-hmm. is one way you could interpret it. I'm not sure they even get into that nitty-gritty kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a similar kind of thing we're talking about here. Um, one of the other interesting things about Kanaloa is that he has equivalents in most of the oceanic indigenous religions. So, you know, you can go through the list of, like, Tahiti and other islands within Polynesia, and they all have kind of equivalents to Kanaloa that go by slightly different names. Um, There's also an extinct volcano called Kanaloa, which is Mm. neat. Um, So as I like to do, we're going to then backtrack a little bit and talk about something larger to give it some context, and that is, in this case, the Kapu system, which is the name for... Basically, how traditional Hawaiian life operated, like, in the day-to-day until the late 18, or I guess the early 1800s, um, and this includes the religion. So, like many indigenous religions, it was polytheistic, meaning there were many gods, and animistic, meaning it was largely nature-based. So it's about looking at, you know, the ocean and the sky and the wind mm-hmm. and things like that, and and there are gods that represent each of these different aspects. So there are the four, and there are literally like thousands of gods. So there are the four core gods, and then other gods and spirits of different facets of nature, you know, animals and plants and things like that. And then there are also like guardian gods or spirits for different family lines. So you have like ancestral gods you can pray to and things like that. So all sorts of, of minor gods and goddesses um, that make up this kind of pantheon. And there are forms of the traditional Hawaiian religion that still exist today. Many of its practices still exist. Um, as in, like, the traditions in themselves or the holidays or whatever. But they actually vary quite widely in belief and actual practice from the original Kapu religious system. So it basically came out of practice in the years 1819 or, or 1820, because that's when uh, their queen, Queen Ka... Oh, God. <laughs> queen Manu. I'm sorry. Um, she overthrew the Kapu system and uh, basically replaced it with Christianity. Not because she was necessarily a Christian, but because she wanted to eliminate the Kapu system. And um, Christianity was a really convenient way to fill in that void so there wouldn't be, like, mass chaos. Um, So that's... It hasn't really been practiced, truly been practiced for over 200 years. But you can still very much see... um, it's kind of descendants today in things like the Hanu religion, which, um, again, is very different than what this ancient religion was, but has a lot of the same kind of roots, you could say. The other thing that I thought, I, I think one of the main reasons why maybe the queen wanted to overthrow the Kapu system is because it is largely prohibitive, meaning that it's mostly built off things you cannot do. So some examples include there were certain times or places where you couldn't fish or hunt. Um, Men and women weren't allowed to eat together. Women weren't allowed to eat bananas or pork. 
you know so there's a lot of rules and most of the rules are like you can't do this you can't do that etc etc however there were important prescriptive teachings as well meaning rules of things that you should do and uh one of the main ones was malama aina which means caring for the land so this idea that um there's mana you know in the earth and in living things and that the energy is transferred and that we are basically man is cultivators of the earth that we have to like take care of it and things like that um so that was that's one of the main kind of um cores of, of the religion and its practice the priests were called kahuna and there are shrines called heyao where they worshipped something that i thought was interesting was that because you know i think i and a lot of westerners tend to use the greek gods or the roman gods as like their main touchstone for polytheistic religion mm, definitely and in that case a lot of times or even like actually shintoism with japan or even buddhism you know, there are, there are certain shrines or temples or what have you that are dedicated to a certain god. But it doesn't look like that was the case with the Heiau because they would worship at least all four core gods in the Heiau. Um, so that wasn't like a... There's not a Kanaloa Heiau that you can go visit or anything like that, unfortunately. It was just a more general place for worship and um, large gatherings and other ceremonies and things like that. Something that I find quite unfortunate is that there there are a few heiau still standing that you can go visit on Hawaii, but they are very, very, like, there's literally, I don't know, two or three where the actual structures are still there. Oh, Most wow. of it, you can go visit sites where the heiau used to exist, but they have since mostly been destroyed and you can just kind of see this like, ground foundation you know where you can kind of make out the shapes of where the walls were and where things were elevated and more elevated mm-hmm. or what have you but there's not an actual structure to go see anymore there's just kind of remnants unfortunately um but what you can see i mean it's still cool and you can still learn a lot about even that you know those trace amounts of history so if that's something that interests you um definitely look into it the uh, national park service Hawaii has a lot of um, those heiau kind of outlined on their website. That was one of my sources, so that's why I say that. Mm. Okay. Um, Going into the four gods a little bit more and back to Kanaloa, there there are a lot of Ks, so if you get a little confused, just let me know. (laughs) A lot of Ks. Okay. (laughs) I will. But the most important are going to be Kanaloa and Kane. Kane is the mm-hmm. primary deity, essentially. He's like the head honcho. He's like the Zeus. So he's the god of creation, god of the sky. Um, for example, you would pray to Kane uh, during a birth or right before a birth, you know, to have a healthy child. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kanaloa is said to kind of be a counterpart to Cain. He's like the yin-yang. They got the yin-yang thing going on. Because Kanaloa is the god of the sea, you know, and the underworld. So kind of up high and down low. Um, So they were often invoked together, as I will specify in a little bit. Uh, But first, we want to talk about Ku, who is the god of war. And Lono, who is the god of agriculture, rain, fertility, and peace. And they also kind of form their own little dualistic relationship there. So there's kind of like Mm -hmm. two groups of two within the four gods 
which I think and is pretty interesting. And the four are all they the are, right? So they're not more than four. Those are not the most common ones. They're just No, they're no, just they four. are they are I mean like they are the most important gods. Oh, so so but they there are, are literally thousands and thousands of other Okay. Mm-hmm. deities like minor gods who yeah. were also worshipped by the people and it was okay. kind of a familial thing a regional thing you know it depended mm-hmm. on all sorts of stuff but Ku was the god of war so um human sacrifice was practiced in this religion and mostly it was for Ku. he was the only one who asked for human sacrifice and i think it's interesting because you know there are various kings or rulers of different areas of the land. And so for eight months of the year, they were said to be like Ku's rule lasted for eight months of the year. And that's when the rulers would invade each other and try and take each other's land and, and fight and things like that, right? But then Lono, god of agriculture, rain, fertility, peace, he had four months of the year, which is called the Makahiki season. Um, and that's when war was essentially forbidden during those four months of the year. And this was essentially like a New Year's time of peace because Makahiki goes from like October or November to February or March and is still like considered part of the kind of like Hawaiian calendar, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting that they have their own like seasons. Right. So Kana and Kanaloa have a lot of different stories and and ways in which they you know are represented there's a whole thing about like kanaloa being demonized by when christianity came in um you know in the later centuries there is a a master's or a phd thesis that i came across that uh outlined all of this for me that i did not fully read um (laughs) because it was far more in depth than i and focused on different aspects than what I wanted to focus on. But I think that is interesting. There's also this whole thing about, like, Kanaloa teaching magic. Um, I don't really know where that comes from. I don't know if he, like, had this little magic school in the underworld or what. Um, but I just think that's interesting. But mostly Kane and Kanaloa are just kind of a package deal. Which is why I feel like Kanaloa isn't talked about a lot. Because Kane, you know, is tends to be a lot more important. So mm-hmm. he's just kind of like only known for his relationship to Kane. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're said in some stories, they're said to be brothers who arrive to Hawaii at the same time. And it's said that they, you know, travel around and find freshwater springs where Ka- uh, Kanaloa will point to where the water is. And then Kane will like have the water, br- bring forth the water kind of a thing. Um, there's also this idea that Kane was invoked when carpenters would be making boats, but then Kanaloa was invoked for when they were first setting sail or when they were fishing, um, you know, for the safety. And then there's this idea that the northern limit of the sun's seasonal travel, I'm taking this directly from one of my sources, is called the dark path of Kane, and then the southern limit is called the dark path of Kanaloa. So again, they're they're just constantly used as, um, you know, opposing yet coinciding forces mm-hmm. with each other. They're complementary but opposite. Even their mm-hmm. looks are supposed to be different and everything. And I like this idea that like the gods have a physical form and are just like traveling around, like still active, just wandering around yeah. the area, just. 
going on adventures and stuff, which again kind of speaks back to like the idea of Maui. Um, although Maui is a demigod, so I feel like it makes a little bit more sense as to why he, you know, is just like spending his time sailing around, but it's a pretty similar kind of a thing. So yeah, that is, uh, that is Kanaloa. I guess then we're done with our topics, right? We are. But uh, before we get into German with Joanna, we just want to let you listeners know that if you, so if you have any, you know, questions, comments, criticisms, you know, compliments, uh, whatever, you can give us an email at aircastlespodcast at gmail.com or shout out at us on Twitter. Our handle is at aircastlespod. Um, but also, you know, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rating and commenting, um, subscribing with whatever you're listening to, anything like that to, uh, to boost our rep, so to say, would be greatly appreciated. Although you guys just listening in at all is already amazing enough. Love you. Heart. Okay. Now on to German with Joanna. German with Joanna. So I picked my phrase based on the like last couple of things I said about Bangladesh, about how, you know, uh, first of all, um, you know, the whole like women in politics and the plastic ban of plastic bags ban of distribution of plastic bags that's that's I, I thought about those things and i thought about the saying in german sich eine Schna- uh, i can't even talk anymore in german like that happened the last time as well <laughs> sich eine scheibe abschneiden können it's a german saying oh, no. and it means yeah it has a lot of sh in it <laughs> and it means like if you directly translate it is to be able to cut off a slice for oneself. And do you want to guess what that means? Oh, gosh. I'm just stressing about having to pronounce it. It's another tongue breaker, <laughs> you could say. Yeah, okay. it's a tongue breaker. What is the translation of the phrase again? To be able to cut off a slice for yourself or for oneself. Hmm. Because I'm trying to connect that with the things that you said and kind of inspired you yeah. saying this, which is like, or about... you, it's also you could cut off a slice for yourself here. That's also a good translation, in my opinion. Oh, gosh, I really don't know. I'm gonna guess it's something like um, trying to something to do with betterment. I don't know, like self improvement in some way. That's pretty good because you could also like, you could say it means something like you could use a slice of that yourself or like you can learn from that or from this person. Da yeah. kannst du dir eine Scheibe von abschneiden. Like that's a longer like sentence, but in general the phrase is sich eine Scheibe abschneiden können. And like moms say it a lot, like when, oh, my friend got an A or my friend, I don't know, did this or that. She got an A in this subject, for example. And the mom's going to be like, Da kannst du dir eine Scheibe von abschneiden. Or, oh, okay. you know, like, like you could be like that as well. <laughs> or when someone says, or a good example is, um, yeah, so Olivia, you know, she always, she doesn't take things so seriously. Like, I get so bothered by things. And she just takes life as it comes, you know, and just is always very chill about it. I could use a slice of that, you know. 
of that, of being so chill about a fact. Like, ich könnte mir eine Scheibe davon abschneiden. Like, you say it about yourself or you say it to other people. Like, you could okay. use some of that. I think the best translation would be um, learn from example. Learn from their example. Like, oh, you could learn from her example. Or, oh, I could learn from your example. Yeah, but we also say you could learn from her. That's a different phrase? Yeah, that's a different okay. fl- phrase. Like, you could learn from her. But yeah, it's, yeah, good, good point. Um, good translation, good comparison. <laughs> But yeah, that's what it means in German. And now we're going to attempt to pronounce it together. Oh, gosh. Okay. Whew. I'm okay, sorry. I'm ready. No, it's all good. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm excited. Sich eine Scheibe. Sich eine Scheibe. Yeah, wow. Abschneiden können. Abschneiden können. Yeah, that was so good. Wow. Now I have to put it together. Not yeah. break my tongue. <laughs> not break my tongue. Sich eine Scheibe abschneiden können. Should I repeat it? Yes. Sich eine Scheibe abschneiden können. Sich eine Scheibe abschneiden können? Abschneiden. Abschneiden können. You sound so Sich good. Sich eine Schei- Scheibe? Ja, yeah, Scheibe. Abschneiden können. Abschneiden. Schneiden. Abschneiden können. Something like that. Woo! Sich eine okay. Scheibe abschneiden können. Ja. Yeah. Sich eine Scheibe abschneiden schneiden können. Yeah. So okay. abschneiden, in general, like, schneiden means to cut. And up, like, the up in front of it, abschneiden, it's one word, like, we put it together, is to cut off. So okay. schneiden is cut and cut off is abschneiden. And Scheibe is, funnily enough, so Scheibe is a slice, obviously. But Scheibe is also used, for example, <laughs> that's a fun fact. So you know how <laughs> Scheiße in German is shit? And it's obviously like a curse word. But when you're in front of children, you obviously don't want to curse. So you say, instead of Scheiße, you say Scheibe. Scheibe slice. Yeah, okay. but Scheibe also means like, it can also be a window front, like a Scheibe, like a, a window. Okay. Or it doesn't need to be a window. I don't know whether there's a phrase for it or word for it in English, but Scheibe is, for example, the the window in a car, like the front window, or it can be a sliding door. Like it's just a piece of glass. So that's okay. also Scheibe. It's a slice and a piece of glass. Um, for any English, uh, English secondary learners out there, um, For us, we have shit, right? Which is our scheiße. But then our, te- our, the main replacement for shit is shoot. Like I say, oh, oh shoot. yeah, shoot. Yeah, and then in German, it's scheiße scheibe. That's shoot. so interesting. I never thought about that because obviously it's like just whatever sounds similar or starts similar. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so if you're in German, uh, in Germany or in Austria or in Switzerland, And anything really bad happens to you, you can just be like, Scheibe! Yeah, be aware of the children around you. Don't just yeah, go around be aware of the swearing children. in German all the time. Scheibe is a lot better than Scheiße. Putting that out there, 
wanting <laughs> wanting to be a good influence to everyone listening, please use Shiba. <laughs> I do. That is a problem that I'm beginning to have now as an adult who, you know, thanks to college has gotten an increasingly worse potty mouth <laughs> is like trying to remember like when I'm in a public place like, oh, there are small children around who can hear me when I speak. And yeah. I need to be Literally a lot more same. conscious of that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, on that note. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> thank you so much again for listening. We once again hope you learned at least some new information in this episode of Air Castles. And yeah, we'll be back with a new episode soon. And until then, tschüss und bis bald. I got really good at a British accent because my roommate was watching a lot of Great British Baking Show and now I've lost it. It's a Great British Baking Show.